show. Welcome to the Automation Impact Podcast. My name is Edward Shlepetsky. I'm CEO of Active Automation Company and UiPath Most Valuable Professional. This is the first season of episodes in which, together with other UiPath MVPs and RPA experts, we will be covering best practices in end-to-end RPA implementation from center of excellence enablement up to successful scaling. So I would highly recommend project champions and other managers who are currently building center of excellence to stay tuned. To learn more about the podcast, visit us on automationimpact.io and don't forget to subscribe. This is the second part of our discussion with Frank Shikora from Raboyo about operating model. If you didn't listen to the first part, we would highly recommend to do so, because in the second one, we are referring to some moments from previous discussion. Both episodes, together with article that summarizes key takeaways, you can find on our website. As of now, just enjoy the episode. One of the things you have mentioned <clears throat> before is importance of the driver of, of, of this journey and importance of the key person it is called also in terminology it is called also the champion or rpa champion and also sponsor so i think that this is also one of the key success factors uh, on the end of whole center of excellence implementation and rpa implementation um, and quite often what i observe is that you may believe that if you pay expensive services you know external or or you find the best tool you find the best uh, service provider and it will just get done my question is how effective can the external services be if if you don't have the, the strong champion and if you can a little bit describe this role of champion and in importance of it because from and we are both from service delivery companies right we are both facing it on on a daily basis and for me it's super critical because even if you have the best practices in place you know how to scale you know how to set up the elastic inside orchestrator you can speak about rpa for hours but if you don't have a strong internal driver i think that you you can just you cannot utilize those things you are paying for maybe you share some experience about the project champion and project sponsor here yeah i would definitely agree there so i mean as a service Delivery provider, right? We all know the struggle, right? You, um, you're always new to um, a company in the start, right? You don't know the culture, right? You don't know the right people. And this is um, maybe even just the first thing where a strong sponsor can help, right? Introduce you to the right people, to the right people to talk, right? To get certain things done, even just getting the infrastructure maybe set up in time, right? To push things forward. And then at some point, um, as an external provider, you can only do so much, right? Because there are um, different meetings, different decisions made somewhere else where um, you don't have a say, right? And this is then at some point where you need to have um, yeah, a champion, right? Who is really there for the cause, right? Because sometimes we also have the discussions, right? So is RPA really the right tool? Don't we want to do something else? Hey, you can always do this with other kinds of programming, right? And at some points, yeah, this is absolutely always in the discussion, right? This is not like um, you go in and you say, okay, we'll automate everything with RPA now. I think this is part of every basic RPA methodology, right? To look at what is there, right? Um, and what can we do? But at some points you need someone to, um, yeah, let's say, to fight for RPA, right? Because at some point what we sometimes see is um, projects that are have not been um, completed, right, for um, maybe two or three years. 
at um, um, all of a sudden get um, yeah, raised from the dead, let's call it, right? Um, when you come around the corner with RP and say, hey, we can do that now, right? Um, and this is something where a champion can, can really help also um, in the internal communication, right, to the right stakeholders. Talking of RPA champion and center of excellence as is, in your practice, where it usually stays, or you, you mentioned seven, five, eight uh, implementations. Yeah, you mentioned several already. In majority, was it living with business? Was it living in IT? Uh, curious also if you you have seen some combinations. Before we jump into the center of excellence model itself, I'm curious where it usually starts on your observation. So the interesting part is I think it shifted a lot. Um, in the start, so 2017 and, and um, around that time, it was almost exclusively um, in the business, right? Because the business had some pains, they wanted to do some automation, then they heard about, hey, RPA, that sounds nice, let's do automation with that if the IT cannot help us, right? And this raised all the problems which we already discussed. I think... Um, with the maturity of RPA now really um, increasing, I think this has shifted a lot. Um, and I think more and more CUEs are now driven out of the IT department, right? Because they see RPA now as a, as a real alternative or as a real tool which they can um, implement into their technology stack, right? Um, and I think, um, yeah, and I think, I think the, the basic difference is that most of the time when you have the RPA pushed out of the business is that the alignment is not always there, right? Because they have a, a pain point which they want to alleviate. This pain point needs to be alleviated. And only after that will they think about the alignment with the IT. And this is sometimes where we come in and like we discussed before, then have the problems with no internal alignment, right? Yeah. And question here is, on the one hand, I think that why it was so attractive by business was because, again, you don't need coding for developing robots. Yeah. And this all the fancy slogans. So they, it was mentioning all the time that it's easy and you just, again, give it to finance or HR department and they will turn it into new IT department. Um, on the other hand, did you experience back in this older times the skepticism about the RPA itself? Because um, it is not, a, you know, like many developers, true hardcore developers of, I don't know, C-sharp, Java, even worse, if we say, worse in quotation mark, if we say about C, seeing this drag and drop fancy functionalities, it is not in quotation marks, the true coding. So did you experience the skepticism from IT also for uh, for RPA? On the one hand, there is a business which is willing to do that back in 2017, because it's easier, no code needed. But on the other hand, why back in 2017, IT was not that engaged and they are now as you said starting to believe more and more into it so did you have similar experience there yeah absolutely i mean i think we all face this um i don't know if it's a stigma but right where somebody um, stands before you and um we're talking about rpa coding and then they come out comes the quotations mark with the scripting right or whatever they want to call it i don't think that's a huge problem because i think in the end it, it's correct it's it is not like real full stack programming that's correct but i still think this is um some of the misconceptions right where it's also not really not coding right and this is why we see that it's 
quite important to have best practices, to have methodologies and to have standards in place, right? Like with any normal programming language also, right? Because if you do not have those, you can also make a lot of mistakes in the RPA context. And I think um, the part about the skepticism um, in the IT department, right? Um, it was always like, yeah, but the screen scraping has been there for 20 years, right? Um, I have auto it, it can do the same stuff, right? And to a certain extent, yeah, this is all true. Yeah, screen scraping is there for a long time, right? UI elements are there for a long time. But um, I think the success of RPA is, is still um, a little bit different from that because, or, or now that we're seeing it, right? Um, because it has matured a lot and it's a lot more stable than before. I mean, to be honest, with AutoHotKey, I don't know if you're aware with that, you can do amazing things, right? But it's still something you code for yourself and it's not something you would use for an enterprise automation. And I think this is the, the, the true game changer now. Yeah, there were always tools, right? And if you really wanted to, you can create automations in, in, in COBOL. I don't know, right? Yeah, absolutely. And... Another thing is I would like to highlight is that you say that screen scraping was there for kind of 20 years or 10 years or whatever number we put it there. But I think that it was there for IT. It was there for programmers, but it wasn't there for business. And I think that this was the the driver of RPA, the same uh, screen scraping and OCR and, and some other basic, because OCR is there also for, for ages already, this basic, if we put it in quotation mark, if we want, basic things got presented to business and amazingly or surprisingly, business started to care about those things. They started to understand that operations, who were what was always about people, finance, what was always about people, HR, what was always about the people and execution, etc. They started to look at their processes and say, okay, be, besides people, I can do it more effective. I can do it. And their goal definitely wasn't just the headcount reduction, but it was more about seeing the benefits behind the quality, behind even this customer satisfaction, uh, not customer, sorry, employee satisfaction, where you don't need to, you know, like do manual and repetitive stuff, just clicking from left to right, left to right, etc. So I think that the big driver and the big, uh, I would say, boom was achieved still here by business. And we must give a credit to business that when, whenever RPA was sold to business, they pick it up. Yeah, they don't know how to code and many things were screwed up. But I think that this was a necessary step to 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 experience. Otherwise, I think that we would still be at the same level that IT would perfectly know about the screen scraping and, and OCR and other things which are just not used. Yeah. No, I, I, I absolutely agree. And I mean, I, I think we now see a little bit the move back, right, with the whole citizen developer program initiative, however you want to call it, right? Yeah. Where we now um, shift the focus again a little bit back, right? And maybe with the Studio X, uh, this is um, a dis separate discussion, but um, uh, right, um, giving back maybe even a little bit um, yeah, more autonomy than again to the businesses, right? Let, let's see how that works out. <laughs> Yeah. And back back in the past when if now what you are speaking now is so-called mixed mode where mm -hmm. you bring this terminology. Um, 
But before jumping into this mixed mode with the citizen developer, still comparing uh, IT versus business in implementing center of excellence. And let's say that both successful. Yeah, let's not pick the, the samples when business starts and fails it, etc. But I think that we could observe successful center of excellence in both, right? And, and, yeah. and we have also in our practice, we have very successful implementation of RPA by business. Um, what are the key differences whenever you implement it with IT and whenever we you implement it with the business single, meaning that you don't have any combined, etc. Uh, what are the differences? I think the biggest difference is just the main focus and the, the starting point, right? Um, we talked about this, this briefly before, but for the business, it was about um, alleviating some sort of pain point, right? They had. So the main part or the main focus of the operating model was to make that happen by by almost whatever uh, means necessary, right? Um, and this was also part of the we wanted now we wanted fast, right? So um, maybe some corners were cut there, which can later on be obviously um, be rectified. But this was um, sometimes the um, yeah more the the business focus, the KPI focus, right? Um, turn on that one problem and try to solve it. When we're talking about the IT. Um, I oftentimes see then um, a more holistic approach, right? We are talking beforehand about the um, about the governance, about the, the the support model, right? More on the technical side, right? And then see how um, it can be delivered, if at all, to the businesses, right? So so to speak, not at all, but right. There's oftentimes a more a more measured approach, let's call it, right? Yeah. So if if if. To highlight the main difference, the first ones, they were like getting it for any price and just willing and pushing to, to implement it, where the others more conservative and more scientific approach when you uh, consider all the constant pros, infrastructure, documentation and many other uh, I would put in quotation mark also bureaucracy to forecast upfront if it can work or not, where both can be can end up great as well as both can end up so-so, hmm, I would say. Good. And then uh, speaking about mixed mode, again, this is the thing which I think more comes from your perspective. I would be curious to hear more about this when what we described so far was more previous years when we were... We, we had to decide, actually, if it is with business, if it is with uh, with IT, centralized, decentralized, etc. But there is a new term, which is this mixed mode. Maybe you speak a little bit about this. What do you mean by that and how do you see it? Absolutely, yeah. So um, we can call it hybrid. We can call it mixed mode. The the important part about it is it's, it's more or less um, a federated model, right? Where we then can still decide and shift if we want to have um, the COE, right, as a strong central governance, right? The COE in the end owns the the end-to-end -end intelligent automation, right? But we have citizen developers that are developing within the businesses, but in the confines of the of the central governance in the end, right? And one important part when we're talking about this um, kind of the hybrid model is that the definition and discovery is located in the businesses themselves. So the business can drive the automation, right? And in the end, the, the COE or um, the centralized component, let's call it, right, um, would um, provide the methodology, would provide the governance and, and the best practices and the other stuff. And then also to some extent, this is something that we're doing right now with the client, right? Um, doing the, the quality assurance checks, 
right? And the other part would be when we're talking about the, the hybrid mode, or that's why it's called mixed or hybrid mode, because this is a little bit more fluent in, 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 in the concept, right? Where you say the COE only provides the platform, it provides a shared knowledge base, right? And then also provides something, let's call it cons consultancy, right? In the, in the broadest part. <coughs> Sorry. Um, but the end-to-end -end life cycle of the automations is in this case then owned by the businesses themselves, right? So this is a, not, not a completely federated model, right? Where every business has like their own RPA initiative, but it's more on the federated side. And I think the, um, the good part about this, this hybrid model is, um, this is more true, I think, to most of the organizations than a truly centralized or a completely, um, like, um, decentralized, um, approach. Yeah. Yeah. And we are just, I think that we are already one leg there in this question. We are to speak about models. Before we jump there, I have one last question, which is still around this um, center of excellence in IT and center of excellence in business. Um, in case it is in business or it is in IT, does the operating model deviate depending on this factor and uh, or it would be the same and if it deviates i, I my assumption would be that it, this deviation should be minimal but i'm curious about your approach here so if you are tomorrow to to hear the the voice of customer and besides your perception of this mixed mode which uh, as i understand is one of the preferred and, and, and the best practices as of now uh, if you clearly heard the voice of customer that we are going to implement it in it or we are clearly going to implement it in a business period would your operating model deviate based on that um short answer no <laughs> Longer answer, uh, no, it is still no, but um, no, it should not because in the end, right, an operating model is in the end a set of um, rules, best practices and um, yeah, a methodology, which is true and does not depend on where um, it's, it's located, right? I think there would be deviations if we let it grow organically, right? Like, like we had in the past where you start with the POC and the pilot and then at some point you think about, well... All right, we need to um, think about support. Ah, yeah, we need to think about governance. Ah, yeah, we need to think about this or that, right? I think then there, there might be deviations. But if you really start, then for, for right now, that there should not be um, differences um, comparing where the, um, the COE resides. Because in the end, it's, it's, yeah, it's the same for, for everybody, right? Or it should be. Got it. I'm happy with that answer because I think that it also gives the hope or gives the light on the on the end of tunnel that it is there is not so big you know like variety of things in in each and every aspect. So I fully agree that operating model is something what not 80 80 20 but I would say 98 two or something like that that it should be uh, consistent it should be stable and regardless where you do it it would be more or less the same maybe the thing which comes to my mind it would be like stakeholder management can a little bit deviate or some other things can a little bit deviate but majority would be just a core thing which is uh, bulletproof regardless of where you are starting to implement it all right, sir. So then we are getting to the point where we were, as I said, already one leg in. And here, just for our listeners, we would have one slide on front of us uh, where we will be comparing the different center of excellence models 
This slide you will be able to find on automationimpact.io in the article which would be uh, linked with, with this episode. So you will be able to see what we were speaking about, but we together with Frank would try to deliver the information in the way that even if you don't see it, even if you don't go to website, you would still understand uh everything i wanted to say most of it but no we will do our best to to make sure that you understand everything of what we'll be speaking in the next chapter which would be about different uh center of excellence models and so frank let's dive in and as of now before we start diving deeper into each of those separately uh on front of me there are three main uh center of excellence models it is centralized and i think that majority starts with this there is a federator federated which you touched already and there is decentralized which i subjectively very skeptic about but before we go in um before we go in do you see any number 4 number 5 or let's just stick with this three and dive in so like I said, the, the, the hybrid model I was just explaining is more or less part of a, of a federated model. So for me and in practice, um, there are basically those three models, right? The centralized, the federated and the decentralized model. All right. Um, I would, I would here let you pick which one you want to start with. I have mine in mind, but just uh, to, to don't be, you know, like one direction driven, which one would you pick first to talk about? centralized yeah absolutely good so here we match uh centralized model tell tell a little bit for 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 guys who are maybe on the very beginning of this journey let's describe it in few words what does it mean yeah so a centralized model in the end means that you have one so i don't even know if we mentioned this so coe which we're always talking about is the center of excellence right um i mean you can call it whatever you want but this is um in the end um yeah where the RPA function resides, right? And we were talking about a centralized model. It means we have one central unit for the CUE, which has all the functions, right, um, of the automation, um, of the automation function within itself, right, and provides those services to the business units, which means um, development, um, delivery, the um, demand management, and everything else will be handled within the um, center of excellence so in an um, yeah central place so to speak yeah so maybe also in in my uh simpler words or simple understanding it is also that whatever is happening about rpa is happening in one team and the whole company regardless of geography regardless of the processes scale and etc everyone knows that this is sitting with that team and everyone approaches one single team for rpa uh, delivery and here question is what are the key advantages and disadvantages we can compare uh, later to uh, to other uh, models? So let's start with advantages. What it brings and what is good about this model? So I think um, one of the um, biggest advantages of a centralized series is that you have like a single point of contact, right? It's so much easier to um, to use this to scale the operation up, right? Because you have one central place where you can add resources, right? You have one central place for the governance, for the ownership of something, right? So you have one really responsible um, person in the end, right? You can have these 
standardized process. We have talked about this, right? You can have one methodology which you um, provide. You have one de um, delivery method. Um, and this makes for consistent RPA solutions, right? And I think the consistency is a major part of what makes RPA successful, right? And then you have also a consistency for the guidelines, for the trainings, and then also um, a centralized IT support. I think those are really the, the, the biggest advantages of the of the centralized uh, model. And one more maybe to add just out of my head uh, to, to the list you have mentioned is control. And you have a strong, and here I think that the, the strongest control of everything what is happening around RPA. And, and, and why I'm mentioning it as a, as a last, because we can clearly add it to advantages, but this is quite on the edge also, because it can turn also to be a disadvantage. So bridging this too with the control, maybe over control, maybe under control, etc. We are going to disadvantages. So what may be the disadvantages of this centralized model? So, I mean, with everything that is centrally governed, right? Um, you were talking about a little bit low flexibility, right? And, and relatively long, um, reaction times when you're talking about compared to, to maybe the other models, right? Um, in the end, what you also have is, is something we call, um, a potential lack of domain knowledge, right? Because you're not the business user, right? You're not a SME, right? And this might also be something where we have, um, not the strongest knowledge within the, um, within the COE itself. Other disadvantages are something we might still talk about later on, right? The automation priorities, prioritization challenges, right? Where you have to say, okay, what is my capacity within the central COE, right? And what can I um, automate in, uh, in a given time, right? And then how do I actually put a priority on that? Um, in the end, then it's also, um, an, I think one of the biggest challenges is an unresponsiveness, right? If, if you're, if you do not have enough resources available, and this is true and this harkens back to the priority, right? Because this will also create a dissonance, right? If you do not clearly communicate what you automate and why you automate it and why you have chosen to automate certain, um, yeah, certain processes. And one last question here would be, um, if we to take RPA journey and cut it into three phases, very beginning, starting, settling up, let's say, then middle, I would say the, the, the execution, uh, even scaling, I would add here, etc. And this part of already high maturity and ending it as a actively growing organism and, and, and then switching more into just a maintenance and slowing down all the processes. So if we do, we are to cut it into three pieces, starting, middle, or, or like just a main life cycle and then ending, uh, is this model applicable for all three? I'm not now asking if it is the best, but if it is applicable and if you can leave all three phases, if you are a conservative company without, again, willing to go later federated or decentralized, is it the model with which you can survive all three phases? That's a good question. So I think, to be honest, it, at some point, it will, especially the middle part, right? Maybe the ramp up, scale up, whatever you want to call it phase, this might be a difficult part within the centralized because you will resource... Um, you will maybe not have enough resources, right? I think for the beginning and the end part, especially the, the ramp 
down, if you want to call it, or the maintenance mode. I think it's it's very well suited. I think in the middle part, this is where the decentralized uh, model can struggle. If you have no ability or are not willing to um, maybe um, look for resources somewhere else, so um, especially then going for the federated model. Yeah, and here maybe I'm I'm a little bit making the answer uh, up. Uh, what I what, what I want to highlight here is that in my understanding, and and Frank, please uh, comment on this. In my understanding, you can have centralized model in all three phases, with keeping in mind that in the middle phase, which is the scaling, what what Frank just mentioned, it can be the very a uh, big bottleneck. You will still survive. You can still kind of scale it. The question is like what speed you would have because you would have a lot of uh, issues with, with the resources, etc. You can still scale it, but you, you would struggle with the speed. So it can be a bottleneck. But if time is not your KPI and your measure, you just want to achieve it, you can leave all three uh, stages of it. Yes, I would agree. All right. Yeah, thank you. And again, as I mentioned, I, I was a little bit making up this answer just just to, to bring this picture also to our listeners that it, it may be not the best model for all three phases, but this is the model you can definitely live with for uh, end-to-end implementation. Maybe you would not be the most efficient, but you would survive. But maybe one point, I, I think it's the, the safest bet. So to speak. So if you if you're really unsure if your um, organization is mature enough or if you want to drive it, I think with centralized you can the potential for something going horribly wrong, right, is um, a lot lower than federated or decentralized. Yeah. So it's kind of conservative, I would say. From it, 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 uh, to me, it describes it quite well. Yeah. Great. And then from you know like from from one to few, from few to many. So we are speaking about few as of now, and we we are to speak a little bit about the federated model, or we already had the other wordings here as a hybrid model or combined model, etc. Let's speak about the federated one. So before we speak about advantages and disadvantages, for those who doesn't know, Frank, I would kindly ask you in few words, what is the federated model about? Yeah, so the federated model is in a little bit in the middle, in between the central and the decentral approach, right? Where you still have a COE, right? But only some func- functions still rely in the CE, right? You, you do not, um, maybe you still have um, a centralized methodology, even a centralized governance, right? But you at the least have some citizen developers, right? In the, in the businesses themselves, maybe the businesses also do their own, um, they're on scouting for their businesses. They also, um, for the business cases, they also do their own implementation prioritization, right? And then in the end, um, maybe only quality assurance is done. And this is, like I said, where, where it becomes fluid in the, in the, um, federated model. What remains still in the CUE and what then is given out to the businesses? I think this is something that is, um, a discussion, right? And I think, think this is why the federated model is, is quite difficult to really nail down, right? Because there are many moving parts, right? Yeah. And here, just just to describe it from my, like this visual perspective in very simple words, the difference between like centralized and the federated would be in simple words, you have not only one single team where back in the past for, for centralized, I was describing that there is in whole company, there is one single team which is responsible for, for RPA. Here for federated, you have one team who is mainly responsible for or, or who is 
in charge for RPA, the standards, the operating model, the governance, etc. But around this team, there are smaller replicates of this team created based on some geographical split, on some process tower split, etc., which are doing more or less the same function, supporting the main center of excellence, main team. But when it comes to, uh, and maybe I am now a little bit spoiling about the prioritization, etc., meaning that uh, when when people have a demand, they don't necessarily go to one single person, uh, which is located in the center, but maybe they look around if one of the neighbors isn't the one who is doing something like that as well. So in simple words, this is the description for, from my end, not... Uh, and, and, and Frank, I think that you describe it quite well also in terms of, uh, you know, extended, uh, extended vision here. And let's dive in into advantages. So comparing uh, to centralized, first of all, as well as later, we would compare it to, to decentralized model. What are the main advantages of a federated model? I, I think you already talked uh, or mentioned it a little bit, right? We're talking about an increased implementation speed, of course, because you have additional resources, right? You do not have to do the um, the priority um, sorting, so to speak, for all the business cases because the businesses themselves, right, being it, like you said, a geological split or a split by business unit, however it is done, right, they can, in the end, decide for themselves, right, where the most pain is and they have the capabilities um, to then also um, create that automation, right? And I think, oh, not I think this leads to much higher implementation speeds, speeds um, uh, yeah, and to in the end a better economy of scale, right? Uh, and also why the implementation speeds are higher is oftentimes also because you have higher process knowledge specific to the um, different regions or functions or, um, or business units, right? I think this is um, something of an advantage that is not to be underestimated, that someone does not first have to understand the process like a normal RPA developer has to, right? Because I have, I've put on many processes in banks and in insurance companies, but I am still not a banker or an insurance broker, right? So this is, I think this is a clear advantage of the federated model. Yeah, and this one, just to just to stay a bit with this one, this is an amazing point I, I did not thought in depth about it, is that you in this federated model speaking of this uh, secondary smaller teams you don't position yourself as a rpa expert only but you position yourself also as a finance expert or as an hr expert as an it expert etc so you live in your domain you are finance expert with the strong rpa capabilities as well what i think that besides this prioritization advantage which is quite obvious i think that this is another as you say that should not be underestimate factor which uh, i think that plays the significant role when it comes not only to scaling but just in regular daily implementation i think that you can achieve it easier faster with you know like less effort or more efficient just because people have a clue what they are automating not just how they are automating because the, the one core thing is how and for this you can hire externals you can have the strong internal capabilities you can have the best developers at UiPath, automation anywhere blue prism like regardless what tool you use you can have strong capabilities in a tool but another thing is when those people who have a strong capabilities in a tool have also uh, knowledge of the process which they are going to automate. So they know how and they know what, what is the strong addition here. Good. 
we have listed the some of the advantages of federated model, but as as everything in this world, it is not you know like there is nothing perfect, and maybe you can bring some of these advantages which you or which customers may face when they are to go with federated model. I think um, for the federated model, the, the thing is um, we talked about the strong governance from the central COE. And I still believe this is something you need in the federated model because, like we said, yeah, you have subject matter experts, but they are RPA beginners, right? And you need to have a clear model for them, right? Templates and all that stuff in order to really onboard them. Because if you do not do that, you have the potential for a real discrepancy in the implementation approach and also in the knowledge, right? Um, and this is something which you need to really counteract if you want to um, see it successful. And this leads oftentimes to increased costs, right? Because you have to do more of the training um, for the people internally. And, and at some points they, uh, yeah, they might have, um, they, they might not fully commit to RPA, right? And we, what we often see is like a 50-50 split. And this can also lead to problems if somebody cannot really commit um, um, completely to RPA and then also when you do not have the strong governance in place you have the potential right to an incoherence in the process methodologies which means um, how to prioritize and how to shape um, in the end the, the processes themselves or the automations themselves. Hey there, I enjoying this episode? If so, I have one kind request to you. Please share this episode with at least one person who it may be relevant to. This would help a lot in podcast development. Thank you. Yeah, there might be many people who have a capabilities of RPA and know how to do it, etc. But since it's just additional role or it is not the main priority, they know how, they know what. But actually, since it's not main thing on the table, it is also sometimes postponed, not the highest prioritized, etc. Besides, of course, the, the, the central team. Yeah, and in the end, so most of the time, the, the, the skills then really like, I mean, everybody can understand this, right? You do the training, right? And you maybe do your first process and that's fine, right? It's just, it's a good process. It's running. And then you, because maybe you have other um, work to do then, right? And you don't do anything RPA related for a month, let's say, right? Yeah. And then yeah. you should, you have to start again, right? Maybe the version even changed or something like this. This is what I mean when I talk about the, the more, um, yeah, the central governance in the federated model, right? You need to make sure that people stay on board with what is actually happening, even if they are not fully committed to the RPA role. And I think this, this is one of the main disadvantages. And when we're talking about the decentralized model later on, I think this is where this really comes to fruition then. <laughs> and the thing, the, the, the answer which I made up a little bit before for centralized model, I would try to uh, to ask you again for, for the federated. And I am, you know, like... Kind of, I'm ready to ma- ma- make it up again, but this is just a great uh, experience exchange here. Uh, I'm really curious about your opinion. Again, we cut our RPA journey into two, three phases, starting, middle, and ending. How federated model fits into all three phases? So for me, starting with a federated model is, is quite a leap, right? To be honest, and this this really needs, um, in my mind, a, a strong effort of everybody and a commitment of everybody to really um, work out methodologies, best practices, to adhere to them, and also to train everybody up to the same level and commit everybody to really to the RPA course, let's say, right? In the middle, we talked about it, right? 
Um, so for one, you can um, maybe use the, the additional resources, right, to better scale up. But also if you did the start right and correctly, this should work out pretty smoothly. Um, so I think for the middle, it's good because also the RPA, um, the operating model maturity should have grown by then to really support this federated model. Um, if you then really um, ramp down at some point, the federated model should also work quite well because in the end people might just um, fall back into their normal functions right problem might be that those functions might not be there anymore right if they have um, been doing like a 50% RPA job and then if they are going back to 200% it might be that there's just not enough work there anymore if really there's no more RPA focus which should never be right the the, the end goal of everything but Absolutely, yeah. And here, when I say that I make up my answer, frankly, I thought only about the beginning and scaling, but I didn't think in depth about the ending part. So I would summarize, and 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 you correct me if I if I got it right or not. In my understanding, um, it is still recommended probably to start with centralized to avoid the overhead, and you would still achieve. You would still start with with federated. It would be okay, but I think that with much, much, much more extra effort, and I would even clearly say that overhead. You may have a lot of overhead if you are starting with a federated model. So better start with centralized. Then federated model plays quite great when it comes to scaling. And if we are to speak about ending, it is also, it would work as you say, it, but the thing is that maybe on the end you made up with too many, uh, you, you you may end up with too, ma too many resources which are RPA capable, but they are not, not needed anymore because there is not that much work. So... It is. It depends on organization, but maybe in if here in the key of speaking about the federated model, and we didn't yet yet touch the centralized one. If we had just to combine these two together, uh, my understanding is that start with centralized. Definitely, it's not like that much discussable. Go with federated to scale, and then talking of ending, it is more depending of other organization parameters, etc. But it may. It is worth worth definitely considering uh, shrinking it back down to centralized or you can still go with federated you just need to keep in mind that sooner or later your pipeline will run run out and then uh, you if you have the positions for those people afterwards you have a great well capable people which can do some other stuff but otherwise you may have a, a concern of, of having too many scale people uh, skilled people but not knowing what to do with them yeah, I mean, in the end, let's be honest here, right? Um, we're seeing it more and more now that um, like those pure RPA cases, right? Where you have like an Excel file that needs to be input somewhere. Those are getting more and more yeah. scarce, right? And also this is not like the the, the goal of everything, right? Um, I think the technology, yeah, RPA will get, I, I think programming RPA will be a commodity at some point, right? I, I, I really believe that. But I still think that when we're talking about center of excellence and the, the rest of the automation journey, I think many other um, technologies will come in. And I think this is then again where a centralized model might fare better, right? Because you need other domain knowledge again, 
right? When we're talking about domain knowledge, which is good for in the federated model for RPA, right? When we're talking about the other domain knowledge, when we're talking about BPM platforms, intelligent OCR platforms to really push, push through this end-to-end -end automation, this might also be something where a federated model can struggle because, yeah, RPA, you can learn. I doubt that someone has the time to, I don't know, learn something like Bisagi, Kamunda, um, or, or Abby or whatever you have there in the, in the other spaces, right? Just on, on like a 50% um, model in, in, in this federated part. So maybe here, uh, what I understand is that cent central, main uh, center of excellence in this federated model, that the, the bigger circle is the one who is responsible for competence and bringing new technologies in, etc., where smaller center of excellences would be more for execution than later taking those standards from main center of excellence. And even if the small center of excellence brings some standards and brings some new things in, it would still be spread to others through the central one when it is directly communicated and main center of excellence does the bigger research and then standardize it, shape it properly and give to all the other executors here which are smaller center of excellence, right? Yep. All right, sir. We are getting to the third model and I would be very subjective here and probably kind of negative. I have no clue where this model fits in, if we are to, to describe this question, which I was uh, making up in previous two cases, like beginning, middle, and the end, I don't know where the centralized, <laughs> decentralized model fits here. I, in my opinion, nowhere. And my opinion is that this is a little bit chaotic, but this is very subjective. And I'm sure that it has advantages. And I'm sure that, and I would be happy to meet person. Maybe if you meet me on some conference or, or some meetup or whatever, Please come talk to me and say, hey, Edward, we are the guys who implemented the centralized model and you were wrong here and there. I would be super happy. I would I would shake your hand and I would ask you many questions about this, but I am super skeptical about this thing. Decentralized model. I'm curious, Frank, about your experience about this. And uh, maybe we start again following our model. We start with short description what this decentralized model means. And then we would speak about advantages which i i can't speak about this yeah but again i'm i'm too i'm too negative here and another thing is the disadvantages which i can also record the separate episode about just speaking about the disadvantages of the centralized model but i'm now by purpose a little bit over making it please decentralized model what it is no, no, I, I would agree with everything you said no so uh, in the end decentralized model for me is everybody does what they want and don't care about what everybody else is doing. So um, in the end, when we talked about the federated model, right, being it a little bit centralized governed and then you have um, some functions cut out and the decentralized model in the end, every business unit has an RPA initiative for themselves, right? Manages it, uh, manages it themselves and, and is responsible for the best practices, the, the scaling and everything else. Yeah, but nevertheless, nevertheless, we have this fancy slide in front of me, and I believe you have it also. There are some advantages listed, so maybe let's speak a little bit about those. So what are those made-up, subjective, completely wrong advantages when each day right there, and again, overdoing that? So what are the advantages of this model? I mean, I mean, one part of it is maybe true that the, the function has uh, the ownership, right, or the business unit has the ownership and can, and again, can again prioritize their automations like they want. This is true. 
right? They can also focus on the business unit specific benefits, which is also true. Um, and there's again an in-depth knowledge of functions and business units, which is also true. But I think those are also there for the federated model. And yeah, when we come, maybe, maybe let's go to the disadvantages because I, I think I agree with you. So my knowledge, I have never seen a decentralized model work, right? Because it always comes down to, hey, we cannot have two RPA initiative or three or four, right? Someone needs to have the lead and who is it now? And then the, the war begins and this is never a good thing, right? Yeah. Before we jump to disadvantages, what is just the main part of this decentralized model, I just I forgot to also describe it in a simple words as I did for the previous two for our listeners. So what it means is that every single or not every single team, but there are separate teams like there's there might be something in finance, there might be something in HR, etc. And each of those teams or process towers or however you call it it may be geographic split it may be process tower and geographic split both combined you can add some another crazy separator there uh, point is that every team may have their own rpa initiative they may even work with different tools they may have a separate infrastructure different standards different best practices they may compete or not compete etc but clearly and and shortly describing it every as as frank mentioned everyone does what they want what brings this in quotation mark the advantage that they can prioritize internally so if finance team decides that okay we now need to uh, speed up a little bit we uh, we skip some standards etc there would not be governance on top of it saying uh, uh uh-uh, uh you should not do it etc you just do whatever you want so this is this is the the the, the quick description of it and uh very natural part for, for, for this model is when we are getting there is disadvantages. So what do you see as the disadvantages of this model? So I like this difficulty scaling at the enterprise. Uh, to be honest, I would say it's impossible to scale at an enterprise level because there is no enterprise level because you are looking as far as your maybe business unit or maybe even smaller. I, I, I um, almost forgot about what you mentioned just now, right? The different tools. This is also something I think this is so huge. When you have um, multiple RPA vendors, this wow, this gets nuts, right? Because then you have to, in the end, look at um, when you centralize then again, maybe, right? Because you want to have one initiative, then you need to think about how to convert or um, yeah, go to the other tool, right? Which you then have a, as a central RPA tool, right? Um, then higher investment due to duplication of resources and infrastructure, which is a given, which is a huge disadvantage, right? I mean, just think about you having three or four orchestrators which are separately licensed. This is absolutely nuts. And then risk of inconsistency in RPA solutions is again nicely nicely told. Um, there will be inconsistencies in the RPA, RPA solutions and huge ones. <laughs> yeah considering also time I think that we move to the next topic but actually this list can continue and continue Um, very last thing as we did for previous two models um, if we are to cut this process into three pieces uh, beginning middle and the end where the centralized model would fit I mean maybe maybe in the beginning somehow I think you cannot scale it, and I think in the ramp down it's it's even worse. So maybe if you're not sure where to start, if you're not sure if you want to have an RPA initiative, 
Um, and if you uh, say, um, yeah, let, let a test balloon fly, right? And then try it with different different vendors to get a competition out of the different business units to see who comes out on top or something like this, maybe. Then, but otherwise, so to be honest, I, I would have to ask my colleagues if, if anybody ever saw a successful decentralized model, but I did not. All right. Um, yeah, same same here. And I think that talking of start, um, okay, if, 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 if you are to start with this model, it is a great thing to start with if you want to experience RPA, if you want to experience different ways of how to approach RPA and to taste it kind of. So this is for you as a company if you want to taste it but never implement it and never scale it. So And, and maybe the last one, if you want to prove it doesn't work, so this is truly for you to to start with and 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 fight for this model. But again, here we end up this section with very subjective and very uh, <laughs> very negative uh, from from my point and also Frank. I think that here we are similar. Uh, we have similar opinion, but. If you are listening to this episode and you have different experience, me just personally, I'm super curious about this topic on automationimpact.io. We also have a contact form. Get in touch. I would give you a call. We can chat about this, but I'm very curious if you have seen successful decentralized model. Uh, I, I would, we probably can make a separate episode with you because I am very curious about this one. So this is the only message I would leave to our audience. And to summarize this three and to take the journey, I think that we are shaping a little bit the best uh, view on this in terms of like how it can look like. From my perspective, again, we are sharing subjective experience and this is the beauty of, of all the previous and upcoming episodes here that this is just a subjective experience of people who did it for, 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 for some time already. Uh, my subjective point of view is that you should start centralized, shape your operating model, shape your standards, documentation, stakeholder management, RASI matrix, yeah, so responsibilities and accountability, etc. And then when you are confident that this is in good shape, you you start with this, you test it in, 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 in the practice and then go for federated for scaling and with still keeping the strong control in this centralized model, meaning that uh, make sure that all the standards, all the know-how are, are well delivered and well spread between the other COEs, etc. And go with federated when you are ready to scale and then uh, it is up to you, but still it is definitely worth asking when scaling phase is coming closer to the end, if you are to switch back to, to centralized or keep federated, it depends a little bit on, on company specifics, but you would do nothing wrong if you would again start slowly switching back to centralized. So this is my impression out of this discussion. Frank, I'm not sure if you have anything to add here. I, I would agree. I think um, what you can do, right, when we're talking about this strategy and vision, right, if you really want to um, let's say start big, right? I think we're now in a place in the maturity of RPA where we could even say, let's start with a federated model, right? We have um, enough experience now with how to, to onboard um, citizen developers, right? How to um, actually help them, how to build out the governance, how to build up the best practices. Um, we have, uh, we have tools now, separate tools from, from UiPath and also we at Wubuyo have our own um, cloud tool which helps um, to keep best practices in check, right? So where we can better steer those decentralized developers and maybe onboard them at the start. So I think this is now possible. I, I don't think or I don't, would not believe that it, it would have been possible like maybe uh, two years ago. I think it's possible now. 
to actually start with the federated model if you really know that you want to scale out fast, right? Otherwise, I would agree with you. Um, start, start centralized, right? Build it out, right? Um, make, make a mature RPA program and then branch out, scale up and, and see where the RPA journey takes you. And then, like I said, with a hybrid model also, this is something you can see. You can have more, right? So I think the, the most important part is about this. It is not set in stone which functions will reside in the COE and which functions will go to the businesses, right? I think this is a flowing process and this is also coming with a maturity. You can even go to a point where, um, as we um, uh, spoke about, um, where you have only the platform that is provided by the COE, right? And everything else could be done maybe in, in tenants or whatever else by each separate business unit if you have the confidence that maturity is there and that it still would work out, right? Yeah. Yeah, fully agree, and and I like this uh, perception that you can you can actually nowadays with the cap capabilities of the tools and also capabilities and maturity of services as well, maturity of people and knowledge, yeah, because it also grows significantly since seventeen or or fourteen, fifteen, whatever we call. Um, main difference maybe is, and here I I would leave a message for champions and sponsors who are just on the very beginning of this journey i think that and i'm curious frank what you think about it if you are sold starting with the federated directly i think the difference between this this first approach when i was saying like start with centralized and go federated what it requires is a strong capabilities strong knowledge so if someone is telling you that you are to start directly with the federated this is possible what frank says but you as a champion you must have immediately the long list of questions and you need to challenge this person this team this this service provider mm -hmm. whoever you need heavily challenge that not because it doesn't work it will work but you need to ensure that the capabilities are there and the knowledge is there because otherwise you would scale bad practices so this is this is maybe the main difference that you need to ensure the capabilities and you need to pay much more attention to capabilities when you start with a federated yeah i would agree getting out of center of excellence models uh the thing which i would also like to discuss with you frank is what were the often mistakes you saw when setting up the operating model when setting up the center of excellence or Correlated with this, it will sound a little bit as a two questions in one. Uh, what are the things you see people believe in but are wrong, or especially for people who just didn't yet start with this so-called myths? So let's start with the first one. What are the often mistakes you see in this in this uh, chapter? So I think myth and mistake are, are pretty close together here because I think that the greatest mistake is is really. Um, the same as with with RPA itself, so not not taking it seriously enough, right? In the in the operating model itself, not giving it the proper care and and um, the proper attention that it really deserves, right? This is what we have been seeing um, uh, a long time, right? Where you said within the RPA code, everybody can do it, and then at some point, uh, even uh, for um, at most at the start of the RPA journeys, right, it's always, yeah, well, that's fine. We can implement it and then later on take a look at it and then we figure out how the, the operating model will work, right? And, and I think this is a, a huge mistake, especially like we talked about, um, nowadays, right? Where you have yeah. all that knowledge, right? And then 
just not giving it the proper thought, being it out of, I don't want to waste the time, right? Or I don't want to have the overhead. I want to have my RPA um, automation implemented now. I think this is the, the biggest mistake I'm, I'm seeing, right? Not taking the operating model seriously and building out the functions seriously. All right. Good. And then the other topic which I wanted to discuss with you is we have we are now in so-called new normal and we are experiencing in my life for the first time, probably in your life as well, the times which are currently the times which we have currently yeah, with this uh, coronavirus situation. I'm curious, there are s several aspects where it, even RPA delivery end-to-end -end journey, it will be affected. But talking of operating model, is there anything what is affected by this situation, anything you would reshape, you would review, you would change the approach, etc. How COVID topic is changing the way you would set up the operating model in the company? To be honest, I think this is something you mentioned before, right? If your operating model is set up well, nothing should really change, right? Um, because it Everything should have its place, that there should be still communications in place, right, in case something happens, in case updates happen, because the world, especially in IT, is not standing still, right? And I think the main advantages of an operating model is that you are not um, just reacting to something, right, but you're in the loop, right? So I think with a good operating model um, that is in place, there should not be too much that needs to be changed in terms of, of um, the COVID um, pandemic, right? Because, um, yeah, there, there should still be functions. I mean, one thing might be that you're still um, personal staffed, right? Or um, there's just the meetings you cannot hold remotely, but this should work now for almost everybody, right? So I, I, I don't see any um, too huge negative impact. I mean, there might be something about SMEs not having the time, right? And we're talking about the pipeline management and all that stuff, but this is also something part of the operating model where you should have an automation pipeline which is filled more or less, right? But it might still be something that, that um, can have an impact, right? If there's um, just not enough people working, maybe some people were laid off and the rest is there for handling the day-to-day -day operations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And maybe one thing which it could affect is, and it is not in operating model of RPA, but maybe operating model of the company, you may start considering RPA as a one of preventive actions when it comes to BCP, when it comes to business contingency. So you would not look on RPA as a, I don't know, a saving generator or even quality improvement, what is obviously there. But I think that RPA, if we step out of operating model of RPA itself, but we look on operating model of the company, I think that RPA would gain the bigger share in BCP area of the company as well to to actually prevent some of the or or save and and support the company in the in the times as we have nowadays. So this is one of the things that comes to my mind. That's true. That's absolutely correct. Um, we have some health insurance customers, and we did exactly that for for a number of them process which are um, directly linked to to COVID, where people can ask, ask questions or get some um, um, some quotes. Right, um, and this is a one-off process, like you mentioned. But there are just so many people who are asking those, right? That it just cannot be done in manual labor, right? And there are no systems in place for that. And this is something that can be quite handily done with RPA. Yeah, absolutely correct. All right, sir. So the next, and and this is 
the one before last one is I used to say and used to ask my guests about the um, to- the topic we are speaking about, what would be the next generation of it? And usually it is the topic 2.0, yeah? So we have development standards 2.0, people awareness 2.0. I think that from back from 2017 till today, we already have operating model 2.0 in many places. So my question to you would be, what is the operating model 3.0 what would what is the future of it and where it can change in on a human level on a technical level how it can evolve even more to be you know like what is what is the operating model 3.0 yeah so i, I think we also talked a little bit about this before and right so on a techno technological level i think um the biggest impact will be the the end-to-end automation right um, or, or hashtag hyper automation, however you want to call it, um, where we have so many different tools which will be integrated to create a really end-to-end automation cycle. I think this is something where the operating model 3.0, um, which would have to take account for this, right? Because you cannot lo- no longer talk just about RPA, right? Which I, what I said before, right? You have to talk about automation in itself. And this will also then at some point incorporate um, artificial intelligence to some capacity, right? We're already seeing it implemented in, in some spaces, but not everywhere. But I think this is a field which will grow exponentially, right? And this is also still maybe, maybe even the, the RPA or the other automations will just become a subset of the of the um, artificial intelligence automation at some point, but I think we I think we are um, still some some way out of that, right? But I think this is the, the most important part for the um, for the technical side of the operating model, incorporating all the new te- technologies which are which are popping up to really drive forward the the automation. This is also maybe process mining and and all the other stuff that is, that is out there at the moment. Um, to really get a better understanding of what to automate and how to automate it, um, yeah, um, efficiently. Got it. Got it. And so we speak about technical level. Anything for for human uh, from human for human beings. So uh, how how it can look like this operating model three point zero for people? What would change if any? So I think one thing which we're already seeing is is the. To, uh, to help people take part in the digitalization. And I think this will become more and more part of it, right? And we're talking about the federated model. Part of it is also the enablement, right, for everybody. And I think this is a huge part and a huge benefit of um, the, the easier technologies like RPA, but maybe also um, for the um, not so approachable, but even still approachable technologies to really help people onboard in this digitalization age, right? Give them... so. Don't leave them just being there, right? Doing the the data entry and with the um with the um with the clear um thought in their head, right? That this will no longer be required in a near point in the future, right? But maybe give them an outlook. And I think this is one of the most important parts then about the operating model to really incorporate every resource uh, you can into the automation journey and help them get onboarded. Yeah. So people involvement, this the, like taking it more and more on the enterprise level, and it will be yes. everyone will be affected by that, and everyone will be in, involved into it in in both a positive, so affected and uh, involved both in positive way. All right, sir. We are getting to last question, and it's very quick one. I'd kindly ask to shoot 
five do's and don'ts in area of operating model? What are the five five things people should do to have a successful uh, operating model? And what are the five things people should do to properly screw it up? I, I think the, the most important part for the do's is do an operating model, right? Um, this this is the thing which we already talked about don't start without one. This is also the one uh, for the don'ts. Um, then um, for the rest, think where you actually um, want to start, right? So we talked about the strategy and vision can come a little bit later on, but um, think about the must-haves we discussed, right? And how to implement them, right? Um, think about where you want to position your COE. I think this is really important. Yeah. Um, think about the model. Yeah. And then for the fifth one, I, I, I don't want to overstate it, but um, have a methodology. Do it. Yeah, execute. Maybe maybe from my end, if I am to add sixth one, fifth one or whatever, it I, I saw it also in some companies. There is amazing, great, well-created operating model, which is mm -hmm. not followed. So from my end, maybe, I don't know, whatever number we give it, just if you create this great <laughs> operating model, it is not the end of the story, you need to follow it. So this is maybe one of the number, whatever, wherever we put it, but yeah, follow it. Good. And five things which you need to execute to screw it up. So five don'ts. I mean... This is again something uh, you already mentioned a little bit, but don't just create it and then don't follow it. I think, like you said, follow it, don't follow it. I think this is so important. Um, don't just, I think the operating model needs to evolve. So don't just do it and then let it lie there and don't ever talk about it again. This is always evolving. So this needs to be part of it, right? Um, a circle of, of continued making it better. Okay, I have it. So, so here we have two points. The first one is uh, that not following it is something what will help you to properly screw it up. And the second one that uh, operating model is a living organ organism which should be updated, etc. So to properly screw it up, have it once and then freeze it. Don't do any changes. It is something what also would not lead to the best results. So these are the two points out of five. The other three may come, Frank. From my end, it was amazing discussions. And frankly, as of now, if I am not mistaken, you are based in somewhere in Bavaria, right? Yes. Yeah. So my just my thinking is after this long recording and after after this great discussion, I think that the, the third episode will be born when next time I am traveling to Bavaria and we will just put the recording on uh, with having some good glass of beer, you know, somewhere in, in Bavaria. Bavaria. Sir, I enjoyed a lot this conversation and on even on a personal level, I, I think that there is a continuation of it and you never know, maybe we would have some other episodes as well. But for now, I think that's it. I highly appreciate your effort and thank you very much for being the guest for, for, for this episode. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you so much. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation um, about the operating model. I think it's a super fun topic. Right? And I think this is also an important part. Operating models don't need to be dry. I think it's it's the meat and bones. And I think it, it still can be fun to talk about it and also to create one. I think this is an important message to get out there, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. So much more to come. Thank you very much, Frank. It was a pleasure. And we're done for today. 
I hope you find something useful in this episode. There are three things you should remember. First, subscribe. Second, visit our web automationimpact.io. There you can find more episodes and articles related to the episodes. And the third one, share it. Maybe someone else finds it useful too. Stay safe.